Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast in your week in IndyCar guest episode brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and our awesome pals at Bell Racing Helmets USA. Speaking of awesome in USA, we have a first. Your man, our man, everyone's man, Ed Carpenter, the Ed Carpenter, owner of Ed Carpenter Racing, owner of numerous IndyCar victories, team owner to Connor Daly and Renus VK. Big reboot, big reboot for the team this year with an all-new driver lineup, barring Ed. Lots of questions that have come in from you, which I really love, this listener-driven show where you send in items for our guests each week on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page, which I would suggest signing up to, subscribing to, or doing whatever you do there. Also to my at Marshall Pruitt Twitter handle and on the Reddit IndyCar group. Lots for Ed. A lot of your questions were somewhat similar, so I've had to group them together. because Ed doesn't have seven hours to do a podcast. So really... Other than saying thank you, as always, for the great stuff that you have contributed to this episode, let's get going with our man, Ed. Ed Carpenter, it's somewhat ridiculous that I'm now nearing year four of this podcast, and this is the first time I've had you on the Week in IndyCar. Might be my greatest failure to date with this show. Nonetheless, thanks for taking some time. On a Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, good lord, to speak with IndyCar fans. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. I don't think you should look at it as a failure. You know, look at it as a success that it's finally happened. See, it's it's the years of negotiations, man. I mean, the, the amount of money I had to agree to to get you on it's a little worrying, but you know, <laughs> I appreciate high value targets. Well, well racers got a, racers got a good budget. See, exactly. And, you know, they're not actually affiliated with this at all. So uh, I'm just selling oh, lemonade on the corner. Man. It's all good. Well, let's do this. You have a ton of questions, which is great to see. It tells me that folks really enjoy you, your team, and want to connect. Frankly, it's all we really do here with this show. So in the interest of getting to as many as we can before you have to move on with your day, why don't we rock and roll? And the first couple actually aren't questions. I wanted to move them up front just because I thought they were really fitting. So let's go with Jim Cosart, who says, no question for Ed, just a note of appreciation for the great racing memories he's provided through the years, as well as being a stellar example of thoughtfulness and good sportsmanship in the racing world. No surprise, Ed is a crowd favorite at IMS. And John Richter adds, not really a question, but a statement. Ed embodies much of the history of the IRL in the unified IndyCar series. Perennial underdog, yet competitive and respected throughout the paddock. Thanks for being a driver, owner, and ambassador of the sport. Good luck at the Indy 500. So look at that. A little bit of sweet stuff to start the show. Oh, thank, thanks for pumping me up, and thank you guys for the, the kind words. I appreciate that. So now we're just going to pummel you with the horrible stuff to follow that naturally. Uh, kidding I aside, that was coming. <laughs> I'm going to go to our pal Jordan Darwin. He says, Ed, what are the expectations for Ed Carpenter Racing in 2020. Says, all the best this year. Looking forward to seeing your new driver lineup in action. I think the expectations every year are are much the same. Um, we don't always meet those expectations, but, you know, n- number one every year on, on the list of goals is 
to to be competitive at Indy and be able to put ourselves in a position to compete for a win, which we've probably been a slightly more consistent, at least being a factor. We haven't won the race, but beyond that, you know, we're really looking to, to get back to, to winning races. You know, we haven't, there's a period where we had kind of an annual win streak going, but yeah. that that's gone away and it's not been for a lack of effort, but we're, we're excited about the, the team this year and, um, you know, excited for the potential of Renus and excited to, to finally get Connor in the ECR car fans have been asking for it for years. So, much like me finally making an appearance on, on your podcast. We've finally <laughs> been able to put a, a deal together for Connor. Uh, and hopefully it'll turn into something to where we can run him full-time eventually. But excited about that. You know, there's a really good atmosphere within the team. Everyone's been working really hard. So hoping to start the season strong and notch a win early in the season and carry the momentum throughout. Sounds a lot like my marriage. At one point, my wife was just like, fine, would you shut up? I'll do it. If you just leave me alone, enough badgering. Uh, yeah, every time, every time we would make a driver announcement that didn't include Connor over the years, I would get quite a quite a bit. I wouldn't say hate mail, but <laughs> definitely people not happy. So well, hopefully, it, you got hopefully two, that bodes well. Yeah, because you got two additional questions here. One from our pal Vincent. He says, if you had a nickel for everyone who said, please hire Connor Daly, would you have enough money to fund him for a full season? And uh, Todd Murray asks, Connor is obviously a big fan favorite. How much, if at all, did that play into your decision to hire him? Um, I mean, if we had a nickel for for every time that was mentioned in the past, we we might be close to being able to get over the threshold of having it a, a partial partial program and make it a full program um you know i think i've always, i followed connor for a long time so it's not like there hasn't been an interest um you know but there's always you know a long list of scenarios and and things that that go into making a decision and the, the stars finally in line you know i mean he he's he's done a phenomenal job you know in a in a variety of roles and you know, he's been persistent to, to maintain his relevance and show show that he belongs in the sport and all the while, you know, really did a, a phenomenal job of, of growing a relationship with the, the United States Air Force. And, you know, we're we're honored that we were able to to become part of that conversation and collectively put a program together. So very excited about, you know, not only the addition of Connor but but also the, the U.S. Air Force being a, a new partner of the team as well. As if your team could get any more American, you found a way by adding the Air Force. It's pretty awesome. Now let's go to David Cody. Inquires about expectations for Renus and Connor. And I, I like that question in addition to the one that you mentioned, the overall goal for the team in getting back into the win column, Ed, because we know that you can win every time you strap in for a race. That's a known thing. Everybody in the in the series expects that possibility. Connor, seen promise. We don't know if he's a winner yet, just by evidence in IndyCar. Renus, huge question mark, but someone I've been saying for a while, I think he's going to be the big surprise for the year. How do you fit them into your mindset or desire of getting back into the win column? 
Do you think that's all on your shoulders this year? Or do you think these two air quote kids could be part of that conversation too? Um, I, I start with the latter part. I mean, I certainly hope that they're, they're both a factor in it. We wouldn't have them here otherwise. You know, if, if we're just relying on myself to, to secure victories, you know, I, I'm only racing five times a year, so that's only five chances. So we need we need more chances with than that with as competitive as the series and sport is now. Um, you know, I think I think for each of them it's different. You know, I think for Connor, you know, I hope to provide him with with a more consistent opportunity and some stability than what he's had at least since he was with AJ and, and hopefully, hopefully we can provide more opportunities than, than what he had that season. You know, I, I think like, like the, you or the question stated, you know, there, there is some question mark about it just because, you know, he, he's had up and down results. He can be a hard guy to evaluate on paper, you know, but when you look at, at his, you know, from a larger perspective, his whole career leading up to IndyCar, you know, he, he was on a similar path to other guys that have had great success. So still believe the talent and potential is there. It's just a matter of the right situation coming along. You know, for me, I thought, you know, we're, we're putting him in a different position, but I thought he showed a lot at Indy last year. You know, I always viewed Indy as a place that he had struggled over the years. Mm with all the opportunities that he had had, whether it was at Foyt or coin different places, but I thought he really rose to the challenge, um, at Andretti and yeah. was very consistent all month. Um, you know, d- had a really methodical approach and, and was prepared on race day and, and drove a nice race. So that showed me a lot about his growth, um, and capitalizing on, on an opportunity. And I think that he can take that same approach into, you know, what his calendar will be, which is all the road courses in addition to Indy. And who knows, maybe, maybe he'll be in some more races as well with Renus. He, he's an exciting prospect. You know, I think one of the, you know, there, there's so many, so many good drivers in this series now. And I think over time, one of the things that has changed is, is the series has gotten stronger. The amount of guys that are fast, there's more of them you know, you get, you get into races and if you don't qualify well, people aren't making mistakes. The pace is so fast that it's really hard to, to work, work your way through the field. You know, if you're starting mid pack without, you know, some unusual circumstances getting you all the way to the front, just because of how, how tough the competition is. Sure. And one of the things that we saw from Renus straight away, um, the first time we tested him was he's quick and, he, you know, he, he showed that in, in through the road to Indy that he was quick, um, but he he really adapted very fast to an Indy car. And then after we tested him again to get another look, you know, it just reinforced that that notion. But he has you know, Ed, he, he has that unique thing that you don't always see, and that is a, yeah. a road to Indy driver who appears to click immediately with an indie car right uh, there just yeah. seemed to be something that like instantly made sense to him where you go oh this this could be yeah, good I mean, he, he's 19 and he's extremely young which you can you can sense that when he's out of the car but when he's in the car he doesn't exactly seem like a 19 year old and he's handled it really well thus far so we, we have high hopes and to kind of go back to 
the beginning part or the previous question, you know, I think we feel like both guys are going to be able to go out and help put the team in position to, to win races. And, and I think they, I feel like they're going to be a good, good match as teammates as well, just because Connor, Connor brings a lot of experience. He's been, he's been at it for a while and needs the right situation. And I think Renus is, is really quick, has a lot to learn and hopefully Connor and I can help him with that. And at the same time, hopefully, you know, his pace and enthusiasm to, to push the limit every single lap that he's in the car will, will push us as competitors and teammates as well. Hopefully Connor helps him on the racing side. I, I really don't want to see Instagram stories from Renus at 3 a.m. at the bar. Uh, but, you know, he, well, he, can't, he can't get into the bar. So if, if that does start <laughs> to show up, it, that's going to be its own set of problems. We're going to talk to Uncle Connor. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Um, I know you've gotten this question a thousand times, and I figure we'll just address it somewhat early in the show here. Number of folks, Nick Landon, Jamie Rowe, Jerry Wilson, Barry Johnson, curious about if Connor's doing very, very well by the time we get to, uh, you know, the end of his road and street course stint here, uh, get into June per se, any chance possibly of trying to keep him going? And uh, also a question of, you know, if there is money that appears, is that at least something that you're strategizing for now, uh, if that does end up being something you can do? Um, I mean, it's, it's certainly not out of the question. You know, I I think, I hope we're in a position to have to make a decision like that. You know, that would be a a great problem to have. Um, you know, right now with, with the structure we have and the partnerships we have, you know, I, I couldn't say that we could do it as, as we sit here and talk today, but circumstances always change. And if the, if the opportunities present themselves and things are going really well, you know, that's something that we would certainly pursue, but I can't predict the future, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully our on-track product is as exciting as, as we think it'll be. And it'll just continue to grow the program. And, you know, I, I would like to be more than, than what we are in in all, all things IndyCar. So if, if the opportunity is there, I would be all for it. Yeah. That, that would be a great sign that has us, that's the thing everyone's hoping for. That's a great problem to have to sort through if it if it does occur. Got a number of questions on this next topic, Ed. One from Doug White, Jordan Darwin, Ryan Gerald, Mike Jablo. We've gone with Doug's. He said, Ed, now that some time has passed, how is the change in stewardship of IMS and IndyCar from your family to Mr. Penske? How has that landed with you? And how has it been for you going through this transition? Uh, I, I would say it's still very early in the process. Um, you know, I think as a, as a family member, you know, I think we all have processed it a little different, um, person to person, family to family. Sure. You know, for me, I almost think it's been a little more simple for me just because I've, I've always been on the competition side of things. I've never worked at IMS or IndyCar, nor did I ever really envision myself working there. You know, so my connection to, to the Speedway, you know, really in for most of my life has been on the competitive side. And so that, that makes for less of a change for me personally, um, you know, for, for everyone else, you know, I, I think everyone's excited about the opportunity and excited for, for what, for what Roger and, and his entire 
group is going to bring bring to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the IndyCar Series, IMS Productions, all all of the assets that that have been acquired. Um, you know, I've I've been able to spend a little time with him at a couple events. You know, right after the closing finally happened, and it's hard not to get excited about his enthusiasm for for what he's doing and some of his plans and you know, how, how much time that he's, that he's putting into it and just how important it is to him personally and from a business perspective. So, you know, that, that's exciting. You, and you, you feed off of his excitement and much like the fans and everyone else, I'm, I'm really anxious to see, you know, how things play out over the next couple of years. I think, you know, as he's mentioned in different interviews and settings, I think there'll be some things that you notice quickly, but I think other things are, are going to take time for him to evaluate and figure out, you know, exactly all the different things that he wants to try to do or implement. So I think it's an exciting time. I think it's a great thing for, for the institution. And as far as the stewardship part of it goes, you know, for, I think for all of our family, that was really the, the most important factor into even ever considering, you know, a, a transition like this and, sure. I don't, I don't think there's a better person to, to have carry on, you know, the, the legacy of what, what our family's involvement's been than, than Mr. Penske and he gets it and I'm excited for the future. I'm also excited to announce here that Roger will be unveiling the Miller and Pruitt media center slash portage on in the snake pit in May. So uh great up, upgrade to the facility there too. Uh, let's go to our pal Neil Joseph talking about a driver. I know you and I are very fond of. Obviously, he's looking for new full-time opportunities. Neil asks, if you were able to find funding, would you consider running Spencer Piggott in a car at Indy or elsewhere? Um, that's a tough question. Um, you know, it, it's hard to answer the unknowns, but I, I do... I do have a ton of respect for Spencer and, and his talents and, you know, decisions like we, we made this off season are, are hard decisions to make. Um, you know, I, I don't regret any of the, the time that, that Spencer spent here. I wish we could have achieved more. Um, certainly if we were in a position to, to bring in another driver in addition to, to the roster that we have currently, you know, Spencer would get, as much consideration as anybody else. You know, I still believe in his talents. I hope that he, hope that he gets more opportunities, um, you know, beyond just running the Indianapolis 500. But um, yeah, he, he, he definitely deserves to be in the sport and I'm sure he'll keep working hard. And I know, I know how hard he does work and hopefully he'll be back in the mix before too long. Perry Fagg asks the question and, I might open this one up just a little bit because it's an an interesting thing for me, Ed. So recently Kyle Busch mentioned that he's gotten the green light from Toyota to do the Indy 500. We would assume that it wouldn't be with a Honda-powered team. Uh, So therefore that kicks him into Chevy-powered team land. Tim Sindrick has said we won't be expanding for the 500. So naturally everyone gravitates to Ed Carpenter Racing as the, of course that's where Kyle Busch would end up curious if that's of any interest to you first of all and second are you looking for more big names to come be a part of the 500 like an alonzo or otherwise or are you more the mindset of no nah, man 
I want to go win that myself or with the guys that are with me for the full season. It's curious uh, how your team always comes up in the conversation as the place to run big name driver X and whether that appeals to you or not. Uh, it's something that I would be interested in. Kyle and I have talked over, over the past couple of years. Um, I think it would be a great thing for him to come do it. You know, his brother did an outstanding job and, and showed that, that those guys given the right situation, the right, the right cars, teammates, et cetera, that they can adapt very quickly. I have no doubt that Kyle could, could come and, and do a great job. So I, I have no problems seeing him come. Um, I would be, I would happy to have him as part of our team in, in the right time and place. You know, I, I would say it's, it's highly unlikely that that, that would happen for us in, in 2020, just because of where we are with our program and sure. any, anytime we've added anything, you know, I've always want to make sure that we're doing it for the right reasons and that it's going to help the entire effort. You know, I, I like you said, in the question said, I, I do want to win the race. That's, that's number one on my list, but <laughs> there's a rumor you know, of that. You have a mild affinity for this race, <laughs> but at the same, you know, at the same time, you know, I, I, I would be, almost just as happy to, to, if any of our cars want it, you know, it's, it, it would still be a, a, a giant accomplishment, you know, so anytime that we would look to add a program or a driver, you know, we look at whether or not we feel like it's going to help our chances or hurt our chances. And, you know, that's why I say it's unlikely right now, just because I don't think that we would feel comfortable running two additional entries beyond what we run full time and feel like we would be doing ourselves a service or in this case be doing the best that we could for Kyle. So, um, it, it's something that, that I'm following, you know, I would definitely be open to it in the future. You know, I think the timing of his saying he's available and, and whatnot was probably a little too late for, for us. Um, but you know, you never know, you never know down the road. Let's go to our pal J.J. Gertler, who asks a question that I'd love to hear about. It says, Ed, we know about the driver changes for your team this year, but can you talk about any of the internal changes, whether it's crew, engineers, etc.? He says, will we see many new faces this coming year or pretty much the same folks? Um, and he also he has a second question I'll, I'll throw in as a follow-up, but curious internally, any changes to complement your new driver lineup? Uh, we've been very fortunate to, to not have to look at or deal with much turnover within the team. Um, Wayne O, one of our longtime truck drivers, he is now, he left at the end of the year and went over to dry and ramble with them running some more races. His son is actually their general manager. So it was an opportunity for him to, to go work with his son. So he, he left, um, so that position's been filled. Um, and then we made, we brought in an, a new young IUPY motorsports engineer into, into the program. He started just a couple weeks ago. Um, so kind of just trying to, to continue to develop talent in that room for, for future years. But, you know, otherwise the, the crews are intact you know, the engineering staff is, is the same, you know, it'll be Peter Craig's second year with the team. 
Uh, he had been in IndyCar before last yeah. year, but yep. he had had a, a, an extended break while he was working for Furniture Row and, and NASCAR. You know, so we're excited for him to have a full off season after you know his return to IndyCar, and he, he's a great, great guy, great engineer. So, and Matt Barnes has been been with us from the beginning, as well as a lot of other people on the team. So, it's something that that we pride ourselves on is is our people and the retention that we've had over time. And, you know, I think continuity is, is something that's very important when you look at the Penske's, Ganassi's, Andretti's, you know, before that Haas, you know, so much of their success in my opinion, and, and even a foresight was just the continuity that they had over, over the years to, to build a program and, and take, take steps over the course of off seasons going into the next season you know, in my mind, when you have giant turnover, unless you can just go get, you know, an elite caliber engineer that you feel like is an upgrade over what what we have, you know, it, we're we're best off to to keep working our processes that we believe in and and the people that we have that we believe in. So uh, I'm excited that we didn't have to deal with much change. Yeah, institutional knowledge is something you really don't want to give up, and you do raise a great point because every year, I'm sure myself and others walk down pit lane for the first time at whether it's the you know, spring training type test or whatever. There are a number of teams, Ed, where just I automatically look around because I expect to see a number of changes because that's how they get down. Never really, for whatever reason, and I guess you've explained it, never really done that with your team because it's like, yep, same faces, same, you know, this is our team. It's a pretty cool thing to be able to do that. JJ also asks, when you're looking for crew members, do you prefer to bring people up from lower formulas on the road to Indy and teach them the ECR way? Or would you rather get people who are already experienced in IndyCar from other teams? You've already mentioned the IUPUI angle, which is pretty awesome too, but curious on whether you'd rather groom someone with a a blank slate in IndyCar or uh, try and bring in someone who knows the game. Uh, It's a balance. You know, I think, you know, when you, when I look back to when we started the team, you know, I think it's really important to, to bring in people with experience because, you know, you can't be a new team and be learning and teaching on the fly when there's so much to be done. So you need that, that history, you know, as, as the team evolves and grows and gets older, um, you know, like we were talking in the previous question, you know, I, I always want to retain, the the people and the talent that we have, but you also have to look to the future as well and, and try to identify and, and bring in, you know, the next generation of, of mechanics, engineers, you know, office, office personnel, truck drivers, you name it. Um, you know, that's one of the hardest parts of, of our sport is, is finding talented young people that, that want to live a life on the road and, whether I, I would say it's a little easier in engineering than, than other areas like, like the guys building and working on the cars. Sure. Um, but you know, we, we try to be pretty intentional about targeting and bringing in some new people when we can, when we find identify the right guys to, to bring them along and teach them how we want things done and, and to carry on the culture that we've created and we've had had some success doing that, um, but it's it's definitely something that that we constantly look at. Just to you know, you you can't 
just rely on the guys that we have to do it forever because you know i think you can see it when you walk around the paddock there's there's a lot of guys working on these cars that have been doing it a lot of gray beards well, but, yeah a lot of gray beards mine included but there, there's guys that have been around you know working on indie cars since well before i was involved that are still doing it so you know we've, we've all got to be looking towards you know the next generation of of every area whether it's mechanics engineers drivers you name it so it's it's an important part of of the future so i would say it's a it's a balancing act of of both alexi hrushka has a question which you've probably been asked a million times but love to get a little bit deeper insight says ed is it possible for you to run two full-time cars plus one part-time and ovals for yourself starting next year um curious on this ed because can you get asked this all the time is there anything beyond budget that limits or prohibits the team from doing this? Or is the dynamic that you have with two full-time entries where you, with you splitting one, is that just a dynamic you prefer, even if you had the budget to go two full-time plus a third car for the ovals for yourself? No, I would say it's much more, you know, it's definitely budget driven what we what we have the, the, the budget, the sponsorship to do and to do, you know, to the level that we feel like we need to do it. So certainly that's a goal and, you know, I, I, we're more than open to doing that. You know, I think it, I feel like that would, that's our, our logical next step in, in the program. And then from there, if we can, you know, round out my car with, with another partial calendar, you know, that, that would be, you know, the, the next step from there, but it's 100% a budget driven thing. You know, the, the next, the next challenge from that is just building out, building out the team and, and the, all the additional personnel that we would need to add, because even if we were just running, you know, if we, if we expanded to two full time and, and a third for myself on the ovals, you know, I don't see us doing that any other way than bringing on a third crew full time. So, you know, budget would be number one and then identifying the, the personnel would be, would be number two. couple of questions here, Ed on fitness and time management. So Jens Jensen says, Ed, is it tough to stay fit all year long when you're doing five races? And he says, or do you slack off as soon as the final race is run and then build yourself back up for the Indy 500 next spring? And uh, Rick Radica asks, Ed, uh, what do you do to manage your time and your energy, and does diet play a role? Um, so I would say, you know, the, the number of races I don't think really changes much for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not relying just on my time in the car to, to stay fit and prepared physically and mentally. Um, you know, as a 38-year-old, almost 39-year-old, it it does get harder. I I definitely can't take as much time off or slack off in the off season like I could when I was in my twenties. Um, but it, it's a big part. It's a big part of my day. And to lead into the final part of your question of of managing my time and day, you know, that's that's one of the biggest challenges, really, because you know my day every day, pretty much year round and especially during the school year with, with Heather and I's three kids all being in school, you know, my, my day essentially starts with, with getting up and helping get them off to school. 
Um, from there, the first part of my day is, is going to the gym. I work out at St. Vincent's sports performance here in Indianapolis. They've kind of got a whole motorsports arm. Um, I've trained with them since 2009. So I go put in my time there. And then from once that is done and I've taken care of, of the driver athlete, Ed, then I make my way to, to the race shop and spend the rest of my, my day here. Some days it's a little shorter depending on after school activities and Heather's schedule. You know, we have three active kids that, that require a lot of running around. Uh, and I like being involved in everything they're doing, but yeah, it's, it's a giant, our calendar is pretty crazy. Heather and I share a calendar and I would get lost without, without that roadmap of a calendar (laughs) guiding me from where I need to be from, from the gym until the time I go to bed each day. But it's, it's, it's a lot of work. I, I enjoy, I enjoy every bit of it though. I appreciated how strict you are in terms of family and time, because I mean, you've spent your life in racing. I've spent my life, etc. We know how all consuming it can be. And I'm not saying that racing just falls out of your brain at three o'clock every day or, you know, whatever. But I do appreciate the fact that you are very intent and very strict on no for me to be husband, father, etc. I do have to put some really serious lanes in place here so that I can be, you know, the best that I can to, you know, my legacy, uh, that being your family. So that, that, not everybody does that. So that's no, something I appreciate. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a priority for, for us as a family, but you know, in, in the age that we live in now with technology and everything you can do on a phone or an iPad, there's internet everywhere, you know, so it's, you know, just cause I am not here at the office doesn't mean you can't get work done. I think I was actually at, at, um, right. Our, our middle child's hockey practice when Danica and I finally hammered out a deal, you know, so it's <laughs> work, work can be done anywhere as long as people on the other end of the line don't mind a little background noise. I love it. Let's go to Ryan Ward. It says, Ed, given your oval excellence, have you ever been approached by a NASCAR team to either test or who knows, bring you in as a ringer for maybe the Brickyard 400 or any other big races? I haven't really. There, there's been a, you know, there, there's been a couple conversations over the years about going and doing a test or, or this or that. Um, you know, but for me, you know, ever since I was very young, you know, IndyCar has always been my focus and, you know, for the sole reason of the Indianapolis 500. And, you know, so it, it, I, I feel like there probably could have been opportunities if, if I was intentional about it. But, you know, especially since 2012 when, when we started at Carpenter Racing, you know, it, it requires it requires all my time and focus to, you know, really what we were talking about a second ago, just to, to do a good job you know, to, to be prepared as a driver and also to, to do a good job as, as a team owner and leader of this organization, you know, and also trying to be a, a good father and husband. So adding anything else into the mix, you know, I think it would just start to hurt everything across the board and that's not something I'm willing to do. Let's go to, got a couple questions here on your roots. Uh, John Woynar asks, 
Ed, is coming up from Sprint Car still a viable plan to become an IndyCar driver? Or do you think uh, you are among the last of that breed, and now IndyCar is looking more for the road course or karting background education? Chad uh, Hartzell throws in, you know, how much importance do you think IndyCar should place on maintaining its roots to short track oval racing? And Sam and asks, do you still pay attention to drivers in USAC sprints and midgets and silver crown cars? If so, who impresses you? So maybe let's start with John and just, do you think those coming up from dirt racing and short oval, is IndyCar a, a place, a realistic aspiration for them to go full time? I think it can be. Um, you know, I think, I think it's, it's something that is conflicting for me, you know, because I, I love where I came from. I love the route that I took to IndyCar, you know, but from the time that I was preparing as a, as a driver and getting ready for IndyCar, you know, everything's changed. The IndyCar series has changed a lot. You know, in, in my case, the USAC, USAC seasons and series have changed a lot. Um, certainly there's talent there and guys that are fully capable of, of being successful IndyCar drivers. You know, I do think there's a bit of a disconnect. Um, and I, I don't really know how to change it. You know, I, a big part of it, you know, when I was running USAC, you know, the schedule was fairly balanced, you know, from the opportunity to, to, to not only race on the dirt, but also race on, on asphalt concrete pavement whatever you want to call it you know they don't have really much pavement racing at all anymore which i think it, you know i think it needs that diversity um you know to, to help ease the transition not that dirt racing isn't a great way to to develop skills and and learn things but i think it creates a, a disconnect with with what our sport is now how few ovals there are, you know, so in turn, I think that lends us to, to look more the carding formula route just because there's more alignment in the transition and preparation from those series to, to where we are now. With that being said, I think it's something that can be overcome if the right program was laid out and, and you had a guy that was just dead set on, on becoming an IndyCar driver you can do both, but I, I don't know that there's enough alignment between between what IndyCar is and and what USAC is to make that an easy transition as it as it used to be. And you know, it would it would be cool if that wasn't the case. It was great when when Brian Clawson was was being so intentional about doing it because it was working. Um, but there's just, there's not enough of it happening. And, you know, I, I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I feel guilty at times for not trying to present more opportunities to guys. But, you know, I also have to try to make the best decisions that I can for, for our team and for us to, to meet those goals. You know, if we had a, if we had an Indy Lights team and a Mazda team and a USF 2000 team, it, it would, it would probably be a little different and easier sure. to, to bring a guy along, but you know, that's not where we are right now. Let's go to Chris Graham. That's an interesting one. Chris says, Ed, you seem to avoid the spotlight by choice. 
assuming that's accurate, what made you come to that decision, and does that affect your ability to attract sponsors in any way? Well, I wouldn't say it's intentional that I avoid anything. Um, you know, I I think I just try to be who I am. You know, I'm definitely light on the social media presence. You know, largely that's a function of managing my day and time and not getting sucked in. Um, Nothing but cat so, videos on your Twitter handle, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it, it, I could for sure do a better job and, and for some sponsors and partners probably make myself more attractive, you know, but I think for me being who I am and, and being authentic, authentic to that, and to my family, I think is, is more important and just doing it the way that, that I do it. And so it's not intentional. It's just me being comfortable with myself and, and living the life that, that I'm happy with and working on and focusing on, on what I want to focus on every day. And, you know, it can be an extremely positive tool and outlet, but it can also be a very negative tool and outlet and, and time suck as well. So it's, you know, it's something I probably should do more of, but at the same no. time, no, I just don't. You're good. You got the, ba- <laughs> I'll, you, I'll, you got the priorities, can, right, brother. You, you're I'll all good. Connor, I'll let Connor handle. Oh my God. Yeah. But handle that. But, and I think part of it, part of it's just, you know, I'm not an old guy, but I'm in, in race car driving years. I am somewhat. And, you know, it's, I, I didn't grow up fully and I, you know, I grew up with foot phones and I remember the giant briefcase phones. So yeah. Some of it's just a generational <laughs> thing, but you know, and, and a lot of it just has to do with, you know, managing, managing my time and energy and focusing on, on the things that I view as most important each day. Look, we've got Connor on human resources speed dial with his social media accounts. So, yeah, I think you're good. We'll let him handle that. Um, This is an an interesting one, and I assume it's accurate. At Steve Dave 37 on Twitter says, Ed, I've read articles uh, in the early to mid 1990s in which your name was listed as Ed George. Uh, And again, I assume that's accurate. And he says, if so, what is the reason for the change to Carpenter? Uh, I was born a Carpenter. And my, my mom married Tony in 1989. Um, I, I have always been a carpenter. I was adopted by Tony at some stage in my, in my life, but it was after I was already racing after I was already in IndyCar actually. Um, and it just didn't seem right in any of our minds to change my name at that point. I, I do remember seeing my name in print as Ed George, but that was, I would say that was more an error by whoever. Was that them just that. taking it? Yeah. Deciding yeah, they decided think, you yeah. were George. Yeah. They decided, they decided that or didn't, didn't know or do research. Um, yeah. You know, I think it was, it was a mistake, you know, no different than I was called Eddie at, at different stages, but I never liked being called Eddie, never responded to Eddie. I've always been, I've always been Ed. See, I have a very, dis- like, I have a very distinct timeline in my life 
my fa- I'm named after my father, who's named after his father. My middle name is Jefferson, and my father's first name, obviously, Marshall. So growing up, uh, I was Jeff. And so until when he passed, I said, you know, um, I'm going to go by my first name just out of out of respect and honor for him. But what's funny is if I'm somewhere and I hear someone yell the name Jeff or call out, I know exactly where they fit in my life and exactly what era, because there was a very sharp change. Exactly. You, on the other hand, didn't change. But for some reason, someone decided you were Ed George for a little while. Uh, Let's go to my my first name. My first name is actually Everett. My name's Everett Edward Carpenter. Oh, you've got the, you've got an awesome name. Uh, So there's, there's no arguing there. Uh, Otto Kinzel says, Ed, I'd love to know more about your brief time at PDM racing. Good old Paul Dyatlovich. Uh, What was it like being a rookie in a very small part-time team? Uh, I think your first IndyCar races are special, you know, no matter who it's with or, or who you're working with, but that, that was an exciting year. So I, 2003, I was still competing in USAC running silver crown races, some sprint car races, uh, running full time in Indy lights for AJ. And we put some sponsorship together with a company that I don't think is around anymore. Metabolife. Metabolife. <laughs> Metabolife. Um, with, with a, a dear friend who's no longer with us, buddy McAtee yeah. helped put, help put that deal together. And we, we did it with PDM and I drove three races with them that year at the end of the season. Um, it was a, a great experience. You know, we raced well enough in combination with, with the year that I had in Indy lights that opened up some opportunities to, to get me full time in IndyCar the following year. And, worked with Tim Wardrop was my engineer for those first three races, which was an experience, you know, for those of you don't know, he was, he was a long time associated with, with Ari Leindyke and the engineer on, on their track record runs in Indianapolis, you know, so that was, that was a a learning experience and a great guy to, to learn from that had had a lot of success in his own right, uh, at the tail end of his career. But, a lot of good memories, you know, it's, it's still good to see Paul every now and then and, and other guys that are still around that, that were working on, on the car that year. Actually, Wad, the drive Scott Dixon's bus yep. fueled, fueled for me in those races. So definitely doesn't seem like as long ago as it was, but it was a important step in my career. Nonetheless, I don't mean there's an, any disrespect towards PDM, but I loved them because they were like the shop dog of IndyCar, you know, everyone loved them. It was just this hearty group where, you know, if they didn't have any money, they didn't, they're, they had fewer things than more things, but there was so much passion. There was a lot of experience. They made the absolute best out of things that they could. I, I miss the PDMs of IndyCar, uh, just cause they really did bring such great character and flavor, uh, to the paddock. I also love when they got uh, sponsorship from Klipsch, uh, with their speakers and such. Man, they were cranking stuff out of the uh, the garage there for a while in the early days of the IRL. Let's get down to a uh, last handful of questions, Ed. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Michael Goodyear. Oh, here we go. Ed, do you have any fun stories about your participation in the Rolex 24 Daytona back in 2007, 2008? It says the mix of drivers sharing the Porsche-powered Crawford DP cars for vision in both years was fantastic. Amazing to consider the caliber of drivers, 
hopping in and out of the same entry marquee events and so on and so forth. He said, you know, so many names in there, Tony George, Thomas Schechter, AJ Foyt, the fourth, John Andretti. Uh, just curious if you have any memories of that. And if you have any desires to do any more endurance racing. Uh, it, I do. It, it was a lot of fun. You know, it, that was actually great memories of, of working with John and really getting to know John through that opportunity. Uh, I'm definitely thankful for that experience, but it, it is an amazing race. You know, I've often wanted to, to be able to go back and, and do it again. You know, it was also a ton of fun do, doing it with my dad, Tony, you know, and that's probably my most memorable story. We were down there for the test. I guess it, I don't think it was called the roar back then. Maybe it was, but he went out for like his first run and we had gone through everything with him and the steering wheel and, you know, all the things, all the things he needed to know. And he, he went out for his run and he had a huge crash and, and turned to, and it was a unique experience for me being on the other side of the radio from what, he and my mom have had to deal with my whole career, but yeah. I radioed in and he wasn't responding. So I flew down there on a golf cart. And by the time I got there, he was out of the car and at the med center, but it like blew the windshield out of the car. Oh, the radio broke. He had glasses on under his helmet. His glasses had flown out of the helmet. Um, it was quite a scare, but the guys buckled down, got the car back out on track for the next day. Um, and Tony rallied and, and did a, did a good job in the race, but it, it was a ton of fun. I regret we didn't finish either of the years. We had a, we didn't have reliable horsepower like we're accustomed to with Chevrolet. Um, our Porsches didn't quite make it to the end either of those seasons, but it, we made it to sun up, which made it that much harder to swallow. Mm. But it, it was a fun experience, a lot of good memories, and you know, good good times with with friends and and my dad as well to to look back on and who knows maybe we'll be back there someday yeah i was gonna ask because you and i talk about this every now and then and that's boy of of all the teams in indycar that seem like expanding into sports cars might be a great natural evolution your team stands out and i know that you know you've had discussions or inquired about that possibility in the past is that remain an active interest of yours something that you continue to pursue or is it more on the back burner um, it's definitely something that I'm, I'm very interested to do. I'm probably not putting forth enough time and effort to, to really make it a priority right now, just because of what our immediate focus is. Sure. There's been a couple, there's been a couple times where I thought we were really close to, to a really good opportunity to, to get involved in, in that series in sport. Um, but it, it didn't work out, but it's something that we, we are still interested in and looking to do. Um, but also, you know, the, the window kind of open and closes annually depending on where we are with everything else. But I, I would love for that to be, you know, something that, that we venture into as a team eventually. Um, and I, I do think it's a, a good transition you know, for, for a team like, like ourselves to exp- expand our platform and diversify our team a little bit, but it just hadn't happened yet. All right. Going to fire in just a couple more quick ones here. 
We're going to let you on to the rest of your day. Ed, Jeremiah Morell says, Ed, back when you were full-time, what was your favorite and least favorite road courses in the series? Uh, let's see. I, I, I would say Toronto was one of my, one of my favorites. I should probably throw in Watkins Glen as well. Yeah. Since it was my, my best road course finish of sixth place. Um, least favorite. I, you know, that's a tough one. I, I would say maybe Detroit would be on that list. Um, you know, there's a lot of places that I didn't get a race at that, that are around now, but I, I really enjoyed Toronto. You know, in the end, I thought Baltimore was, was a fun place. Oh yeah. I, I would probably throw Houston onto the list of dislikes, which was also my last and most recent road course, street course appearance in 2013. But those are kind of the ones that come top of mind. Brian Cohn asks, Ed, any of your children, have they expressed any aspirations whether working in the team driving race cars etc curious if you were seeing another generation of uh, carpenters possibly on the hook here in indycar uh my seven-year-old has aspirations to to be on the amr safety team really which would be amazing um you know that that group is they're they're close and special to us my wife was on the medical team when we met as a nurse so we have a connection to the, to those folks, probably more so than others. Um, our daughter, who's our oldest, she's twelve. Uh, she loves coming to the races. She's never shown a desire to to be involved. Um, she's a gymnast, an active gymnast, and stays busy with that. The boys, at different times, they're ten and seven. Um, at times, they've both shown an interest. Um, I've taken them both out to Newcastle Motorsports Park and they've both toyed around in a, in a cart a couple of times and there's been moments where they've wanted to do it, but there haven't been, they haven't been persistent enough for us to ever take the jump. So time will tell, you know, they, I wouldn't say the windows closed just yet, but they're, they're living a happy and active life. They love, they love being a part of what we do. I would love for them to, to be involved in motorsports some way, but you know, I think, I never had the mindset of I want my kids to follow my footsteps and I'm going to buy them a cart as soon as they have long enough legs to sit in it. You know, it's more <laughs> something that I've wanted them to drive and you know, it, it would, it could be a really healthy thing or it could be a really unhealthy thing for, for us to be, you know, for them driving and me parenting and, and working and preparing their cars. So it would be something that would require a hundred percent commitment from them. I would happily do it with them, but I haven't seen that. haven't seen that level of commitment yet that I think would, would make it work. Uh, their mom is actually Heather, I think would really like to see that happen, which is probably different than a lot of moms out there. Yeah. But you know, both, both boys are playing hockey. They're, they're loving, they're loving that sport. I'm, I'm loving following their progressions through that sport. So Right now, I'd say it's looking unlikely, but, you know, they're young enough that that could easily change. All right. Two questions to go, Ed. Uh, One, well, we've got Gary Lynx and also Clay Williams, similar topic. Gary asks, how long do you plan to keep on racing? Uh, And second, Clay asks, 
What is your interest in continuing to be a team owner after whatever point in time you desire decide to hang up your helmet? Um, the second part first, you know, I, my intentions with, with Ed Carpenter racing, you know, my hopes for, for this business is that it lasts long past my driving career. Um, you know, I want it to be a, a team that, that is a championship contender annually in this sport long past my time in the car. So that was, that was something that we addressed when we started the team. It wasn't, it wasn't something we were doing just to, to prolong my career or to put my career in my own hands. It was something that I wanted to build for, you know, for the, the next phase of my, my career in life professionally. So that's the goal. And I hope that that becomes true uh, to the first part of the question. How much longer am I going to drive? I have no clue. Um, you get that a lot, I, don't you? And I, I wish yes, I could say, I, I, I wish I knew why. It's like, there's like, I feel like it's an annual thing where there's someone telling me I'm retiring the next season <laughs> every, as we approach the end of every year. But I don't know. I, my mentality is, is as long as I feel like I can still have an opportunity and I'm competitive enough and have what it takes to, to go out and continue my pursuit of the Indianapolis 500, I intend to do that. You know, if I wake up or leave the speedway one year and feel like I just don't have it in me anymore or don't have what it takes anymore, then that's when I'll know it's time. But, you know, I, the way my mind works, you know, I, I really, it's not on the horizon. Yeah. I don't understand how you can like put an expiration date on yourself. Like I'm going to do it two more years. Like if, in my mind, if you say you, you're going to do it two more years and then retire, you might as well just retire right now because you're already done. Final question. Wanted to save this for the end because I thought it'd be a nice close. Tim Duckworth on the topic of what I think happens to a lot of us, that this well of, of deep and not maybe fully explored feelings uh, the morning of or the night before the Indy 500. Tim asks, Ed, on the eve of the Indy 500, when you're in the process of leaving your house and family heading to IMS, curious if you could share your thoughts and feelings of what goes through you and your body during that time frame. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite times of the year. And I think Heather would tell you the same thing. Generally, you know, we have a lot of friends and family in town, you know, a lot of them live here all the time. Others that are coming back for the annual pilgrimage to, to Indy, you know, we generally keep my schedule clear after the parade on Saturday, um, go home, generally bring in some food and spend time with friends and family, try my best to relax and just get a, get a good, a good meal on. Um, but then when Heather and I leave there and head back to the track to, to stay at the motorhome and the infield and it's, it's always so cool pulling back into the speedway. You know, I would say normally it's around nine thirty or 10 when we get back and, you know, it's pretty quiet, actually pretty dark other than the lights on the pagoda and then the new pylon. And it's, it's like an eerie peacefulness, you know, and calm before the storm. And there's obviously a lot of anticipation, uh, and excitement building, but it, it's a, it's a cool moment that, that we have every year, you know, we'll stand outside the motorhome and, and look around and just kind of soak it all in. 
hoping and praying that the, the next day is going to be the day that, that we've been praying for for so long. So it's, it's, it's one of the best days of the year, obviously not quite as good as, as race day and race morning, but it's, it's a close, close second. Ed Carpenter, looking forward to having you back for another visit here on the weekend IndyCar. This was a blast. And I think folks are going to really enjoy the conversation all driven by their questions, which I must say, they're always awesome and say these were particularly great. So thanks for making some time. Seriously, it was really, yeah, really thank, fun. Thanks for, thanks for being patient with me. Hopefully, you know, maybe we won't have to wait more than two years instead of the four <laughs> that it took this time. And thank you to, to all the listeners and fans of, of myself and, and our team and all of our other drivers and just fans of, of IndyCar and the Indy 500, you know, without you guys, it wouldn't be fun to do what we do. So thank you very much. You know, Paul Trahan threw in a question that I didn't ask, but maybe I'll just throw it in here as we say goodbye. He said, are you worried at all about Connor trying to get your Ed Carpenter racing mechanics to work on that piece of crap Subaru of his? Is there some sort of policy where he can't bring that thing around? Uh, I think that was one of Connor's first questions is like, when can I, when can I get a Chevrolet to drive around town? Because the power steering pump on my Subaru is like pretty much dead and I don't really want to fix it right now. So he, he's sporting a Tahoe and loving life. I think the Subaru is parked somewhere. I actually asked him last week, I think if he had fixed his power steering pump and he's like, no, I'll just, I'll deal with that if I ever need to, to fix it again. Hopefully, you know, he's never going to get rid of that car. It's like his firstborn. So um, it'll always be there, but hopefully we can keep him employed and, and driving a, a brand new Chevrolet for the, for the extended future. We hope you and Heather can just teach him to start leading his best life. That He might win races for you. He might do all kinds of stuff. I think just, you know, an upgrade in life is what I'm really hoping is going to come from this union. All joking aside, you know, I think Connor, we, we were talking about my online persona and how I live my life kind of off the grid, so to speak, and he's most definitely on the grid, but people shouldn't be fooled by that and think that he isn't working hard and dedicated. Um, oh, no. You know, he, he puts a lot into it. I think he's not living just a life of of raves and EDM concerts. He's, he's grinding, he's grinding pretty hard. Um, I'm proud of the the work that he's been putting in this off season and can't wait, wait to get Dakota for the open test. And then from there on to St. Pete. So I'm, I'm ready for the season to start. Ed, thanks again, my man. And I will look forward to seeing you soon. 